Al-Bashir, your source of Islamic literature, presents Al-Akhira, the Afterlife, Part 2, narrated by Imam Anwar Al-Awlaqi. Number three, A man whose heart is attached to the houses of Allah, Al-Masajid. This is a man who always wants to pray in Jama'ah and the Masjid. Wherever that man would go, you would find him asking about the Masajid. Where's the Masjid? I want to go to the Masjid. When they're traveling, they're looking for the Masajid. When they go from one place to another, they're always looking for the closest Masjid. When they are at their homes and it's time for Salah, they feel the urge to go to the Masjid. They love the Masjid. They don't feel that somebody is forcing them to go to the Masjid. They don't feel that this is an obligation. We have to go, I'll, I'll just get it off my shoulders, I'll go to the Masjid. No, they go with willingness. They love the Masjid. And this love is in their hearts. And Nawawi says that the meaning of this, أَنَّهُمْ يُحِبُّونَ صَلَاةَ الْجَمَاعَةَ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ وَلَا يَعْنِي أَنَّهُمْ يَقْعُدُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ And Nawawi says, this means that they love to pray jama'ah in the masjid. It doesn't mean that they love to stay in the masjid. Because we don't want this to be misinterpreted to mean that somebody should just uh, come in the masjid and do nothing and just stay there. And now he says this is not what is meant. And now he says it means that they love salat al-jama'ah in the masjid. They have this eagerness to join in the congregation in the jama'ah with the Muslims. Umar ibn Khattab came into the masjid once and saw some people laying in the masjid, staying in the masjid. He told them, what are you doing? It was a time of work for people. Uh, they said, we are al mutawakkilun We are the ones who have tawakkil. We're staying in the masjid. We are the ones who have tawakkil. Amr ibn Khattab took his stick and he hit them. And he said, you know that the sky does not rain gold and silver. If you stay in the masjid, don't expect gold and silver to fall on your heads from the sky. You have to go out and seek rizq. And uh, Rasulullah once went into the masjid and he saw one of the sahaba there. So Rasulullah told him, what are you doing in the masjid? If it was okay for a person to stay in the masjid continuously, Rasulullah wouldn't have asked him. But Rasulullah asked him, because this was not a time of salah, Rasulullah told him, what are you doing in the masjid? He said, Ya Rasulullah, humuman humum. I have a lot of distress. Rasulullah then taught him the hadith. Uh, he told him, say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan, wa'udhu bika min al-ajzi wal-kasal, wa'udhu bika min al-jubri wal-bakhul, wa'udhu bika min al-ghalbat al-deen wa-qahra al-rijal. I seek refuge in you from despair and distress. And I seek refuge in you from inability. And I seek refuge in you from laziness to the end of the hadith. But Rasulullah told him, what were you doing in the masjid? This is time of work. It wasn't time of salah. But this hadith is talking about people who love the masjid and love to go and pray jama'ah in it. Because with some, some people, they come to the masjid as if there's a burden on their shoulders and they want to lay it away and try to find an excuse not to go to the masjid. But there are some people, they, they love to go to the masjid. They would live far away and they would still come and they would never complain. They would drive long distances to come and pray jama'ah. And they would come to Salat al-Fajr or Salat al-Isha or any other Salah. Why? Nobody has to argue with them and convince them to come. They live very far away and they're coming on their own because they have love in their hearts to the masjid. But then there are some who are in the vicinity of the masjid, very close. Nevertheless, they never show up and they never come. And they always try to find an excuse to get out of it. Why? Because there's a lack of love of the masjid in the heart. And Rasulullah says in a hadith about the munafiqeen, if one of them is told that there is the harvest of dates will be given out in the masjid, we're going to hand out for free dates, they would have came. 
And think about it yourself. If you find in yourself, if you ever find in yourself some uh, uh, lack of motivation to go to the masjid, ask yourself the question. If they are offering us $20, if we go to prayer, will I go or not? If you feel that you're going to go, that, that means that you don't have an excuse not to go to the masjid. You're just fine, trying to make an excuse. But if you're still not going to be able to go, that means that you might have a valid excuse for not going. And I, I, I would assume that if the masajid would hand out $20 for every salah, the masajid would be packed and full. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising you with Jannah Allah subhanahu wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising you that He will give you shade on a day which is 50,000 years long. So which is better? $20 or shade on the Day of Judgment? Number four, وَرَجُلًا تَحَابَّ فِي اللَّهِ اجْتَمَعَ عَلَيْهِ وَتَفَرَّقَ عَلَيْهِ Two men who loved each other for the sake of Allah, they came together and parted for Allah's cause. These are two men who love each other, not for a worldly benefit, not for business, not to take advantage of each other, but they love each other for the sake of Allah. I love you because of your righteousness and your good qualities and your akhlaq, your manners. This is love for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the hadith says, اجتمع عليه وتفرق عليه. They came together and they parted on the cause of Allah. That means they came together for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in Allah's cause. They didn't come together to backbite. They didn't come together to lie. They didn't come together to excessively go into lagu, unnecessary talk. They didn't come together to plot and conspire against Muslims. They came together for the sake of Allah. This is like the brotherhood of who? Musa wa Harun. كي نسبحك كثيرا ونذكرك كثيرا. موسى said so that we can glorify you a lot and remember you a lot. That's why موسى said I want my brother to be with me. Or the brotherhood of Salman al-Farsi and Abu Darda, for example, they would come together and or like Abdullah bin Mas'ud he told one of the Sahaba هيّا بنا نؤمن ساعة let's come together to have iman faith. For a moment, talk about Iman and talk about the religion and talk about the situation of the Muslim Ummah. So they're not coming together for any other worldly, uh, they're not coming together for a worldly uh, reason. They're coming together for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward them and provide them with shade on the Day of Judgment. And there are many ahadith that talk about al-mahabba fi Allah. There's another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, إِنَّ الْمُتَحَابِّينَ فِي اللَّهِ فِي ظُلِّ الْعَرْشِ and another hadith in Allah Yaqulu Yomal Kiyama Aina al Mutahabuna Bijalali Alyoma Udullahum Fidulli Yomala Dulla illa Dulli. These ahadith carry the same meaning. Number five. Warajulun talabathum ra that amansibin wajamal fakala inni akafullah. A man who was seduced by a woman who is beautiful and has authority, and he said, I fear Allah. And the ultimate example of this is who? Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam. Because he was called by a woman who was very beautiful and she had authority. She was the wife of Al-Aziz who was the owner of Yusuf because Yusuf was a slave. And he was owned. His slave owner was Al-Aziz. So she has the ultimate authority over him. She's the wife of Al-Aziz. The owners of Sayyidina Yusuf. Nevertheless, he said no. And he suffered because of that and he went to jail. If someone is approached by a woman who is beautiful and nobility and has authority and refuses just that moment. That refusal is enough to grant the person shade for 50,000 years. Why? Because it's very difficult to do. 
It's not an easy thing. Even though it's just a word that you say, I fear Allah. But it's extremely difficult. And Allah subhanahu wa will reward you according to the hardship. It's a hard thing to do. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is generous and will give a reward that is greater. Because it's not easy to turn down such a thing when all the elements are against you. Shaitan is working against you. He's glorifying that woman in your eyes. You have the ability to do the sin. And then add to that that she has authority. She has some sort of authority and could harm the person. Because of the difficulty of that situation, the reward of it is great. And uh, use this uh, with any other thing. The more difficult it is for you, the more reward there will be. Number six. وَرَجُلٌ تَصَدَّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ فَأَخْفَاهَا حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمْ شِمَالُهُ مَا تُنْفِقْ يَمِينُهُ The literal translation of this is someone who has given a sadaqah charity and has made it secret so that even his left hand does not know what his right hand is spending. This hadith is talking about one form of sadaqah and that is a sadaqah sirriya, the secret charity, the secret sadaqah. Because there's two types of sadaqah. Sadaqat al-alan wa sadaqat al-sir. The public charity and the private or secret charity. And there is a reward in both. In al-zakah, al-nawi says that it is better to make it public. There is more reward in giving zakah in public than there is in giving zakah in private, in secret. Why? Because the zakah is a pillar of Islam and people need to be reminded with it. So it's better to do it in public. With sadaqat al-tatawah, al-nafila, the voluntary sadaqah, he says it's better to give it in secret. But this is not general. There are some situations where it's better to give it out in public if it's going to motivate others to give sadaqah. And that's why there are a few occasions when Rasulullah was asking for public sadaqah. And we know the famous instance when a group of Arabs, Bedouins, came to Rasulullah and they were very poor. So Rasulullah stood on the member and encouraged everyone to give out. One of the Ansar, he came with two sacks. One sack was filled with food and the other sack was filled with clothes and other things. And he placed them in front of Rasulullah in front of everyone. When he did that, everyone went to their houses and they brought something and a big heap of food and a big heap of clothes and other materials was uh, left for these uh, poor people. Rasulullah then said, مَنْ سَنَّ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ سُنَّةً حَسَنَةً فَلَهُ أَجْرُهَا وَأَجْرُ مَنْ عَمِلَ بِهَا بَعْدَهُ وَإِلَى يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ Whoever starts a good sunnah, a good habit, will receive the reward of it and the reward of everyone who does it until the Day of Judgment. Why? Because this man, he started a good sunnah. He started this public sadaqah, giving in front of everyone. So Rasulullah said, he will receive the reward of that and the reward of everyone who does that after him. And then we know the other incidents in the Ghazwa of Tabuk. Rasulullah stood on the member and said, who will give? Who will give? Who will give? He's calling for people to give out money. And every time Uthman ibn Affan would come and give. And would come and give. And he kept on going back and forth. Whenever Rasulullah is calling for donations, Uthman ibn Affan gives. Until eventually Rasulullah said, ما ضر Uthman ما فعل بعد اليوم. Whatever Uthman does after this day will not harm him. He gave so much. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted him forgiveness at that moment. Whatever he does after this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to forgive him. This is a different form of sadaqah. This is sadaqah sir. This is the secret sadaqah. And he should do both. 
depending on the situation. When there is no need of encouragement, you shouldn't show off your sadaqah. You should do it in secret. So your left hand doesn't know what the right hand is spending. This is a figurative speech. It means that you're doing it so secretly so that nobody would know about it. It doesn't literally mean that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is spending. But this is uh, an Arabic form of expression that means that it is done so privately that nobody knows about it. You're doing it in secret. And an example of this would be, for there would be some of uh, the scholars, they used to give out sadaqah, and they would leave it at the doors of the needy. And the needy have no idea who's giving them. They don't know. And they would only discover who was giving them when the scholar dies, because that's when the money would stop coming. And this happened with a few of the scholars. They would give out sadaqah to some of the needy families they know, and nobody knows about it. And the families don't know who's giving them this money. And then when the scholar dies, they would discover that it was this scholar who was giving us because we're not getting the money anymore. This is an example of completely secret and concealed sadaqah. Finally, وَرَجُلٌ ذَكَرَ اللَّهَ خَالِيًا فَفَاضَتْ A man who is in seclusion and remembers Allah and his eyes are filled with tears. There is someone who is alone, a man who is alone in seclusion, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making dhikr, and tears would flow from his eyes because of the love and the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is done alone, so it's done in a state of ikhlas. You're not doing it to show off in front of everyone because you're alone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of that ikhlas, will provide shade for this person on the Day of Judgment. So these are the seven. We'll mention them again. Sab'atun yudhullahum Allah fi dhullah. Yawma la dhullah illa dhulluh. Imamun adil, a just ruler. Wa shabun nasha'a fi ibadatillah. A youth who grew up worshipping Allah. Number three. Wa rajulun qalbuhu mu'allaq bil masajid. A man whose heart is attached to the masjid. Number four. Rajulun da'atum raza tamansibin wa jamal faqal inni akhaf Allah. A man who was... Seduced by a woman who beautiful and authority, and he said, I fear Allah. Number five, Rajulani Tahabba Fillah, Itsema'ali wa Tafarakali, two men who love each other for the sake of Allah. And then number six, Rajulun Tasadaka Bisadaka Fafa Hatala Talama Shimala Matun Fakamino, a man who gave out Sadaka so his left hand doesn't know what his right hand is spending. And finally, Rajulun Dakarallah Khalian Fafadat Aina, a man who mentioned the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone in seclusion and his eyes were overwhelmed with tears. So these are the seven. These are not the only ones whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide shade for on the Day of Judgment. There are some others and we'll mention them. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, مَنْ أَنظَرَ مُعْثِرًا أَوْ وَضَعَ عَنْهُ أَظَلَّهُ اللَّهُ فِي ظُلَّهُ By the way, this hadith of the seven is narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Next hadith, مَنْ أَنظَرَ مُعْثِرًا أَوْ وَضَعَ عَنْهُ أَظَلَّهُ اللَّهُ فِي ظُلَّهُ Al-Mu'thir is a man who is in financial difficulty. Somebody who is going through financial difficulties. This is Al-Mu'sir. Man anzara mu'siran aw wada'a anhu. If this man owes you some money, Rasulullah says, if you give that man more time or forgive the debt, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide you with shade on the Day of Judgment. Because financial difficulty is a great uh, form of distress for people. Especially for people who have families, men who have, who are taking care of responsibilities. Financial difficulty is a disaster. That person owes you money. You give them more time. You say, pay me when you have money. 
or you wada'anhu means you give them a break or you completely forgive the debt because you made it easy on this person in dunya Allah will make it easy for you on the day of judgment and provide you with shade you find that this shade on the day of judgment is usually for people who either went through difficulties in dunya or they made things easy on others because al-imam al-adil he makes things easy for others the just ruler he's making things easy for others uh, the man who gives sadaqah is making it easy for others. Uh, the one who is approached by the, a woman uh, who tries to seduce him, this one is going through difficulty, so Allah will make it easy for him on the Day of Judgment. This is an example of someone else whom will be provided with shade on the Day of Judgment. Number three, what will happen to the ones who assist others and fulfill their needs? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, and this hadith in Sahih Muslim, مَن نَفَّسَ عَن مُؤْمِنٍ كُرْبَةً مِنْ كُرَبِ الدُّنْيَا نَفَّسَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ كُرْبَةً مِنْ كُرَبِ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ Whoever eases the distress of a believer in this world, Allah will ease their distress on the day of judgment. And this is something else that we have underestimated, and that is assistment of assisting others. And sometimes we have an understanding that religion is a few rak'at and, and siyam and that's all what it is in Islam and then do whatever you want with others. Abuse, take advantage of people, steal, cheat. And still we think that we are perfect. A person would think that he's a perfect Muslim. Treatment of others has a major effect on your deeds. There are people who enter into Jannah exclusively because of their treatment with others. And there are many ahadith, and we talked about that, and you know them. If you ease the distress of a mu'min, a believer in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ease for you one of the distresses of the many distresses of akhirah, of the day of judgment. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa also says, وَمَنْ سَتَرَ مُسْلِمًا سَتَرَهُ اللَّهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ and whoever conceals the privacies of a Muslim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will conceal their privacies on the day of judgment. What does this mean? Aura is something that you don't want others to see. That is Aura. That's why the private parts are called Aura. But that's not all what is meant. I mean, not the private parts. The Aura is the parts of the body that should not be exposed to others. These are called Aura. But Aura also includes anything you don't want others to see. For example, your sins. If somebody is committing a sin, they might be doing it away from people, they're hiding from people, and they don't want anybody to know about it. For example, some people, they pray and they have a lot of iman in their hearts, but they, for example, suffer from an alcohol addiction, which is one of the major sins. Nevertheless, this person, still in the depth of their heart, they have a lot of love to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they know their weakness, and they're asking Allah for forgiveness. They have this, they are afflicted with this disaster of addiction. And they don't want anybody to know about it. They're concealing it from everyone. Somehow you came to know about this. You came to know that this person drinks. If you conceal that, and you don't let anybody know about it, and you make it secret, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will conceal for you one of your privacies on the Day of Judgment. Because every one of us has some privacies you don't want others to know. Every one of us. Either thoughts or acts or things that could be done. And you don't want anybody to know about it. 
and you're not insisting on that sin, you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. If you conceal that on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will conceal this sin for you. Now you might wonder, how could you do this when this is something that is illegal? It is illegal to drink in Islam. It's illegal to drink alcohol. So how, you might wonder, how come it is something uh, good to conceal this sin when this is a major sin and there's a punishment for it? Shouldn't I go to the authorities and to have the court enforce the law against this person? The hudud in Islam, the laws, the criminal law in Islam, the intent of it is to keep the society clean from any sin that would become public and affect the people. There is a lot of wisdom that we're not turning our attention to in the ahkam, in the laws, in the criminal laws of Islam. The danger is when the sin becomes public. When the sin is private, it's not affecting anybody in the society. This person is doing that sin alone in the privacies of their own home. Nobody knows about it. They're not telling anybody about it. It's not affecting the society. When does it become a harm? When it is made public. Because then it attracts others to it. It attracts others to the sin. Alcohol is not on the minds of people, but when they see somebody drinking, when they see it done in public, when they see billboards advertising alcohol, when they see alcohol companies, that is when it draws the, the attention of the people. But if it is done under the ground and nobody knows about it, there is a possibility that this person one day would make a toba and forget about that sin and give it up and it's past and it's history and it's over with and they start with a new beginning and they start on a clean account after toba. Therefore, this sin should be concealed. But the danger is when it goes public. And that's why the hadith says, وَلَمْ يُظْهِرُ الْفَاحِشَةِ إِلَّا صَلَّطَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ أَوْجَاعُ وَالْأَسْقَامَ الَّتِي لَمْ تَكُنْ فِي أَسْلَافِهِمْ Rasulullah says when people make fahisha, adultery and fornication public, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will afflict them with diseases that did not exist in their forefathers. But when they make it public. And I gave you an extreme example of alcohol, which is a major sin to drive the point but this would definitely apply to any small uh, minor things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحِبُّونَ أَن تَشِيعَ الْفَاحِشَةُ فِي الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَهُمْ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ The ones who want evil to spread among the believers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them with a severe punishment in this dunya and akhirah. Some of the scholars said this applies to the ones who go and spy about others and then expose all of the evil to the society. You know what happened? This sin happened there and that and they would spread this news and this news would go around. This would corrupt the people. Talking too much about the evil acts of others spreads corruption in itself. Especially when it gets to uh, moral uh, indecencies like zina and things like that. Uh, there are many things that are underground and not known. They talk about this news and they spread it all over. That corrupts the minds of people because talking too much about these issues is a corruption in itself. And when it's not in the minds of people, don't bring it up. Sitr, there are some people who will come on the Day of Judgment from the believers. Uh, the general rule is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will call everyone. Every one of you will be called and you will stand in front of Allah alone. You would stand alone 
in front of Allah and all of the creation, humanity and jinn, all of them are surrounding and witnessing what is happening. And they hear the conversation between the person and Allah. And Allah would ask the person about their sins. Did you do this sin in front of everyone? So all of the sins are exposed. On that day, nothing will be concealed. Everything will be public. But there are some believers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call them, and then Rasulullah says, Allah will come down until he's right over the shoulder of the person. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak with that person about sins that the person has done in private. And Allah will not let anyone know about it. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the end will tell that believer, I have concealed these sins for you in dunya, and I will conceal them for you today. Nobody will know about them. So all of the creation are around surrounding, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come down to that believer and would whisper to the believer, and this conversation is between the believer and Allah, and nobody's listening. And Allah will tell the believer, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and Allah will mention these sins that the believer has done. But these sins were concealed from the people in dunya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will conceal them for this believer in akhirah. One of the ways to be granted with this blessing is to conceal the sins of others. To conceal the privacies of others. And this also falls into the important teaching of وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا Don't spy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, don't spy on others. Every one of us has enough in ourselves to be concerned with. We have enough in our own selves to be concerned with. How come we should concern ourselves with the privacies of others? But when you see something in public, then it becomes your duty to make inkar al-munkar. When you see something in public, then it's your duty to enforce enjoining good and forbidding evil. Because now it's becoming public. But don't go and spy and eavesdrop and look through holes what are people doing and investigate. That's not Islamic. Alaykum bi anfusikum. This is the advice of the early Muslims. Uh, take care of your own issues. Min islam It is part of the uh, perfection of one's faith to uh, leave what is not part of your business. And then Rasulullah says in the end of the hadith, Wallahu fi awn al-abd ma kana al-abdu fi awn Allah is in your assistance as long as you are assisting your brother. Allah will assist you as long as you are assisting your brother. And then there's another hadith, Rasulullah says, and this hadith is in Sisalat al-Hadith al-Sahihah, Man nasara akhahu bi dhahr al-ghayb, nasarahu Allahu fi dunya wal-akhirah. If you give victory to your brother, in his absence, Allah will give you victory on the Day of Judgment. What does this mean? You are in a meeting and a very righteous brother of yours is absent and these people start backbiting about your brother and they say things that are not true. You stand up and you tell the truth and you do not agree with what they say. If you do that in the absence of your brother, you have done that for the sake of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you Victory on the Day of Judgment. Because you have given your brother victory, you have helped your brother in that meeting when he is absent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you on the Day of Judgment when you are in need. And we shouldn't allow our brothers or the righteous scholars to be backbited when we are around, as long as we know their righteousness. We should defend them, but also this should not be interpreted as ta'asab. Defending someone just for the sake of defending the person. Because people do mistakes. And this is a problem that 
I would defend the brothers or the scholars who I agree with or are part of my party or group, but then I would turn down everybody else. No, you apply the same rule and standard to everyone. Something that is not right, you do not approve it. And something that is right, you approve it. And Rasulullah says in Surah Khaqa, Give victory and assist your brother, whether he is oppressed or whether he is the oppressor. This rule is a jahiliya rule. This rule was in the time of ignorance of the Arabs, pre-Islamic Arabia. They had the general rule, and that was, we assist our brothers whether they are right or wrong. If a member of my tribe is wrong, I would still help him. If a member of my tribe kills somebody, and then the other tribe come and try to kill him, I would still help him and go and kill the others. Rasulullah said, you have to support your brother, whether he is oppressed or the oppressor. When the Sahaba heard this, they were amazed. They didn't understand. This is a jahiliya rule. This is a rule of the tribes. How could Rasulullah approve it? Rasulullah was mentioning it, was, but was giving it a new meaning. He said, supporting your brother when he is oppressed is by telling him that he is wrong. And stopping him from the oppression. So when your brother is oppressed, you help your brother and try to take away that oppression from your brother. But if your brother is oppressing, then you prevent him from oppression. And that is what is meant by this rule. And this is the new Islamic definition that was given to an old proverb or rule among the tribes. We talked about the justice of the leader, al-imam al-adil, the just leader. But justice is not only something that leaders apply. Justice is something that all of us should apply. Justice is a practice that is not only for the khalif or the president or whoever. Justice is a virtue that should be practiced by everyone because every one of us has some responsibility. And as long as you have responsibility, then there is an area for you to practice justice. And we mentioned that justice is the law of the universe. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has established the heavens and earth on justice. And whenever justice is missing, then everything will go wrong. Wherever justice is missing, then be sure. It's guaranteed that that thing will go wrong. And the reward of justice is very high. Rasulullah sallam says, and this hadith is in Sahih Muslim, إِنَّ الْمُقْسِطِينَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَلَى مَنَابِرَ مِنْ نُورِ عَنْ يَمِينِ الرَّحْمَانِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَكِلْتَ يَدَيْهِ يَمِينَ الَّذِينَ يَعْدِلُونَ فِي حُكْمِهِمْ وَأَهْلِيهِمْ وَمَا Rasulullah sallam says, Al-Muqsateen, Al-Muqsateen are the just, are sitting or standing on pulpits of light on the Day of Judgment, on the right hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, and both hands of Allah are right. They are standing on pulpits of light, next to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, next to Ar-Rahman. Who are these? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, the ones who are just in their judgment, and among their families, and among their responsibilities. So the ones who are just, in their justice, like for example, a judge, or anybody who is in arbitration, or anybody who is trying to solve problems, as long as a problem is brought up to you and you are making a judgment, if you have justice, then you would be on the right hand side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, next to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that also applies to the ones who are just among their families and just among their responsibilities. We talk about justice a lot. 
And we might always mention it, but then when we're dealing with the responsibility that is under us, we might be very unjust. And one area where there is a lot of injustice is among the family, among children, uh, the treatment of the wife, or the treatment of the younger brothers and sisters. There's a lot of injustice that could be committed in this area. And we need to realize that having justice brings a lot of reward, and being unjust brings with it a lot of punishment. Because we know that one of the most severest punishment of all is against dhulm, against oppression. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that nothing would stand between him and the dua of the oppressed. Even if the dua is coming from an unbeliever. وَلَوْ كَانَ كَافِرًا Rasulullah specifically mentions in the hadith that the dua, the prayers and supplication of the oppressed are going to reach to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately even if they are coming from an unbeliever, from a disbeliever. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept the dua of the oppressed. And as I said, every one of us has a certain area, domain, to practice justice. And when you have authority, and you have power, it's very tempting to abuse it. And the more power you have, the more tempting it is. Especially when there's no opposition. So with children, and with the weak, they are prone to oppression from the stronger. And realize that this will never go unnoticed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the oppressor pay the price on the Day of Judgment. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not let anything go. Otherwise, that is injustice in itself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of His names is Al-Adl, the just. Therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make everyone pay for their injustices. And it would go to the extent of even among the animals, they would have to sort things out. And Rasulullah has mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make qasas. Everybody will pay what they owe to the others, even among goats. Rasulullah says if one goat had horns in dunya, and the other goat didn't have horns, and the goat that has horns hurt the other goat, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the hornless goat on the day of judgment take revenge from any harm that was done unto it even among the animals, let alone among human beings. So in our treatment now, because we're talking, we need to uh, take this information and apply it in ourselves, in our families and in any domain that we have, we should apply justice. The next uh, section is talking about al-shuhada wal-murabitun. The shuhada, the ones who died in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and al-murabitun. Al-ribat, the literal meaning of it, comes from rabata, and that is when you tie something. When you tie something, it is called rabat. Rabat is a place where you tie things, and what is meant by this is an army post that is tied to that spot, waiting for the enemy or guarding an area. So that area is called rabat. So wherever the army is stationed, it is called rabat. If the army is waiting for the enemy or the army is protecting a certain area, even though they're not fighting, that is called ribat. This is the meaning of the word uh, ribat. Rasulullah has mentioned that the shaheed has some unique characteristics with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's some uniqueness to the shaheed. What are these unique qualities of the shaheed? Rasulullah says, يُغْفَرُ لَهُ فِي أَوَّلْ دَفْعَةِ Rasulullah says, Allah will forgive all the sins of the shaheed, the martyr, with the first drop of blood that comes out from their body. With the first drop of blood that comes out from the shaheed, 
the sins are immediately forgiven. And that is one honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to the shaheed. Number two, وَيَرَى مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ And the shaheed will see their place in paradise. Number three, وَيُجَارُ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ And they will be spared from the punishment of the grave. Number four, وَيَأْمَنُ مِنَ الْفَزَعِ الْأَكْبَرِ And this is what relates to what we're talking about. And they would be spared the fear of the greatest, of the most fearful day. They will not fear the most fearful day. And what is that day? The day of judgment. When everybody else is in a state of fear. Yawm al-Faz'a al-Akbar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called it the day of the greatest fear. Because on that day, whatever sin has been practiced, whatever sin was done in dunya, we would be afraid of the punishment of it on the day of judgment. Because that's the day in which everything will be exposed. To have security on that day is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give to the shaheed. Why? Because the shaheed, their sins are already forgiven. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them the peace and tranquility on the day of judgment. They will feel peace and security on the day of the greatest fear. And that's a day that is 50,000 years long. And then Rasulullah says, and this is number 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place on the head of the shaheed Taj al-Waqar. It's a crown of uh, waqar means nobility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place a certain crown on their heads which will make them in a very noble and exalted level. Al-yaqutatu minhu khayrun min dunya wa ma One jewel in that crown is better than the earth and everything in it. And then number six, وَيُزَوَّجُ ثِنْتَيْنِ وَسَبْعِينَ مِنَ الْحُورِ الْعِينَ they would be married to 72 of the women of Jannah, Al-Hur Al-Ain. And finally, وَيُشَفَّعُ فِي سَبْعِينَ مِنْ أَقْرِبَائِهِ They would be given intercession for 70 of their relatives. Intercession on the Day of Judgment means that there would be somebody who would have to go through a certain punishment and you would come and intercede on their behalf and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive this person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give the shaheed the ability to intercede for 70 of their relatives. These are some unique characteristics of the shaheed. And the one that relates to what we're talking about now is, They will feel secure and safe on the day of greatest fear. So we see that shahada is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not a loss. When somebody dies in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's a blessing. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَتَّخِذَ مِنْكُمْ شَهَدَىٰ Allah chooses from among you the shaheed. It's not something that anybody can get. It is a choice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah chooses whom He wills for this exalted position of shaheed. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says about al-ribat, ربات يَوْمٍ خَيْرٌ مِنْ صِيَامِ دَهْرِ وَمَنْ مَاتَ مُرَابِطًا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمِينًا مِنَ الْفَزَعِ الْأَكْبَرِ وَغَدَ عَلَيْهِ برزقه وريح من الجنة ويجري عليه أجر المرابط حتى يبعثه الله. And this hadith is in Sahih al-Jamaa al-Saghir. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says the ribat, so guarding the army post for one day is better than fasting for a year. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says and whoever dies as a murabat in the army post, you die in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you would be spared from the fear of the greatest day. Now this is even natural death. If somebody is a murabat, and they die a normal death, they didn't actually die under the fire of the enemy. They died a natural death, but they were in that army post guarding it. 
they would still receive this reward of being safe on the day of judgment. And then Rasulullah says, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide them with rizq and wind from paradise as long as they are in their graves. And then Rasulullah says, and they would continue receiving the reward of a murabat until the day of judgment. So the reward would continue. Even though they passed away and they're dead, they're still receiving the reward continuously until the day of judgment. And Rasulullah says, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَا يُكْلَمْ أَحَدٌ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمْ بِمَّنْ يُكْلَمْ فِي سَبِيلِهِ إِلَّا جَاءَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ اللَّوْنُ لَوْنُ الدَّمُ وَالْرِيحِ رِيحُ الْمِسْكِ Rasulullah says, and this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari, in the name of Allah, Rasulullah says, I make an oath in the name of whom my soul is in his hands, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that if you are injured in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then Rasulullah says, and only Allah knows who is injured in the sake of Allah, then that injury on the day of judgment will come. The color is the color of blood, but the smell is the smell of musk. So it would be a sign they're carrying with them on the day of judgment. And then finally Rasulullah says in this hadith, narrated in Mishkat al-Masabih, the hadith itself is narrated by At-Tirmidhi wa Nisa'i wa Abu Dawood, مَنْ قَاتَلَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ ثَوَاقَ نَاقَةً فَقَدْ وَجَبَتْ لَهُ الْجَنَّةِ Rasulullah says, whoever fights in the sake of Allah, a time it takes to milk a camel, then Jannah is guaranteed for them. If you fight in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the time it takes to milk a camel, which is maybe a few minutes, then Jannah is guaranteed for that person. And this is the reward of fighting in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Rasulullah says, similar to the hadith before, من جرح جرحا في سبيل الله أو نكب نكبة فإنها تجيء يوم القيامة كأغرز ما كانت لونها زعفران وريحها المسك. If you have any injury, then on the day of judgment, it would come with the color of saffron and the smell of musk. And they would carry that sign with them on the day of judgment. Uh, so these are some ahadith relating to the situation of the mujahideen, al-shuhada and al-murabitin on the day of judgment. The next section is talking about al-kaadhinun al-ghayv, the ones who suppress their anger. Anger is a feeling, a very strong feeling in your heart. And it could cause you so much pain if you don't release it. And you feel that your blood is boiling and your physiological and psychological state changes. Anger is a very powerful feeling, especially if the person is very angry. And anger would cause you to do irrational things, cause you to be violent. If you are able to hold back on your anger and suppress it, so the feeling is still there. You still have the feeling of anger, but you're suppressing it and you're not acting upon it. There is a very high reward for doing that. Rasulullah says, says in this hadith, which is Hassan, and it is narrated by Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood, Rasulullah says, whoever suppresses anger, and they are able to act upon it. See, because there are some situations where you cannot act upon it. When you are weak, when you are in the weaker position, sometimes you're forced to not act upon it. But this is talking about when you have the ability to act. So you are in a position of power, and you have the ability to carry out your anger and take revenge. Nevertheless, you don't. Rasulullah says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call you on the day of judgment in front of everyone and make you choose whichever one of the women of paradise you want. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will announce your name and call you up in front of all of the creation and then give you the choice.
This is the reward of suppressing anger once. Why? Because it's, as we said, a reward is according to how difficult the situation is. And sometimes it's extremely difficult to hold back on anger, especially if a person is very temperament and angry. Uh, and the environment and the causes have increased that anger. And you are able to fulfill or act upon that anger and you still don't. Then the reward is immense and great. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in Quran, المتقين الذين ينفقون في السراء والضراء والكاظمين الغيظ والعافين عن الناس والله يحب المحسنين Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the righteous are the ones who spend in difficulty and in moments of ease and they suppress their anger and they forgive and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the ones who are muhsineen. These are the muttaqeen. One aspect, one quality of the muttaqi, the one who has taqwa. Taqwa is being God conscious. One unique or one quality of the muttaqeen is that they suppress their anger. Being angry and violent and abusive to people are not actions of a believer. The Sahaba with the training of Rasulullah reached to the level where they forgave. And they would forgive others. They would stand up for the truth, but when they have the ability to take revenge or to, they would forgive. And this is a very virtuous uh, thing to do. Although, in Islam, the law itself gives you your right. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. But then there's a higher level of that, and that is forgiving. So by law, you can take what belongs to you. That is the Islamic law. Forgiveness is a voluntary thing, a recommended thing that you can do if you choose to. And then you receive a special reward for doing so. So we don't go uh, to court and force people to forgive. No, this is something that they have the choice to do. Otherwise the justice is that an eye is for an eye. So that is the Islamic law, that is the law. That everybody should get the fair treatment. And then if you want to forgive, that is the choice that you make on your own if you want to receive this high reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next section, Fadl al-Mu'adhineen, the reward of the ones who call adhan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in the hadith narrated by Muslim, al-Mu'adhinuna atwal al-nasi a'naqan yawm al-qiyamah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says the ones who make adhan have the longest necks on the day of judgment. And that is so that they could be seen. So they become very tall on the day of judgment. And that is a reward of Adhan. And Adhan is the call to prayer. And that's why it carries a very high reward to it. There's another hadith Rasulullah says to Abdurrahman ibn Sa'sa'ah. Abdurrahman ibn Sa'sa'ah was one of the Bedouins and he was a shepherd. So Rasulullah told him in this hadith narrated by Al-Bukhari, إِنِّي أَرَاكَ تُحِبُّ الْغَنَمَ وَالْبَادِيَةِ فَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِي غَنَمِكَ أَوْ بَادِيَتَكَ فَأَذَّنْتْ فِي الصَّلَاةِ فَارْفَعْ بِالنِّدَاءِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَسْمَعْ مَدَى صَوْتَ الْمُؤَذِّنْ جِنٌّ وَلَا إِنْسٌ وَلَا شَيْءٍ إِلَّا شَهِدَ لَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Rasulullah told Abdurrahman ibn Sa'sa'a I see that you love sheep and goats and the Bedouin life. This man, he wasn't very uh, attached to city life. He wanted to live as a Bedouin with his sheep and goats in the desert and in the mountains. Rasulullah saw that this is his desire. Rasulullah told him, I see that you love the Bedouin life and love being a shepherd. 
uh, if you were in the wilderness and it's time for salah and you made adhan, then raise your voice in adhan because whatever hears you, whether jinn or humans or anything, they would witness for you on the day of judgment. So raise your voice. The mountains, the rocks, the trees, the animals, the human beings, the jinn, who hear your voice, they would witness for you on the day of judgment that you are making adhan. So you're not alone when you are out there in nature, you are not alone. You are around the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're going to witness for you on the day of judgment. You are in harmony with the creation. All of the creation is Muslim, except for the corrupt jinn and the corrupt human beings. Otherwise everything else is Muslim. The next section is الَّذِينَ يَشِيبُونَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ The ones who grow white hair in Islam. What will happen to them? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, مَنْ شَابَ شَيْبَةً فِي الْإِسْلَامِ كَانَتْ لَهُ نُورًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Whoever grows white hair in Islam, it will be light for them on the Day of Judgment. And this hadith is narrated by a Tirmidhi. You grew up in Islam, and your hair became white in Islam and you are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that hair will be light, nur, for you on the Day of Judgment. We, sometimes we don't like white hair, because it's a sign of old age. Well, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is telling us that this is an honor for the believer. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, لَا تَنْتِفُ الشَّيْبِ فَإِنَّهُ نُورٌ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ مَنْ شَابَ شَيْبَةً فِي الْإِسْلَامِ كَانَتْ لَهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْبَةٍ حَسَنَةٍ وَرُفِعَ بِهَا دَرَجَةٍ And this hadith is narrated by Ibn Habban. Rasulullah says, don't pull out your gray hair. Sometimes we don't want to show that we're old, so we pull it out, especially if it comes to us at young age. Rasulullah says, keep it, because it will be light for you on the Day of Judgment, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you a reward for every white hair, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise you one level for every white hair that you have in your head. So it is light for the Muslim. Rasulullah says, ashaybu نُورٌ فِي وَجْهِ الْمُسْلِمْ فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَنْتِفْ نُورًا Rasulullah says that gray hair is light in your face, so pull it out if you want to. And who would want to pull out light from their faces? This is nur for the believer. Following section is the wudu, about the ones who make wudu. Rasulullah says in the hadith narrated by Al-Bukhari, إِنَّ أُمَّتِي يُدْعَوْنَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ آثَارِ الْوُضُوءِ Rasulullah said that my ummah will come on the day of judgment, ghur and muhajjaleen. Ghur and tahjil. Ghur, these are two marks that come on horses. It's a bright spot on the forehead of a horse, and muhajjaleen is a bright spot on the feet of the horse. And the Arabs used to consider it to be signs of beauty in the horse. It's a bright spot that is on the forehead and a bright spot on the legs. It carries also the meaning of beauty in general. That's the original meaning of the word. The linguistic meaning of it is that it's talking about these bright spots in the horse, but then it carried the meaning of beauty. So ghur and tahjil are two signs of beauty. Rasulullah says on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call my ummah with these marks and signs of beauty. And what caused these marks of beauty? It is the wudu. This water of wudu that you wash yourself with, will give you signs of beauty on the Day of Judgment. Rasulullah says, تَبْلُغُ الْحِلْيَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِ حَيْثُ يَبْلُغُ الْوُضُوءِ And on the Day of Judgment you will have jewelry according to where the water used to reach. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you jewelry on the parts of wudu'. There's another hadith. Rasulullah went to the uh, cemetery. This hadith is in Sahih Muslim. فَقَالَ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ دَارَ قَوْمٍ مُؤْمِنِينَ وَإِنَّ إِنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ بِكُمْ لَاحِقُونَ 
وددت أن قد رأينا إخواننا. رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم went to the cemetery to the graves and he said peace be upon you the dwellings of the believers. The believers Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was giving salam to are the dead. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi gave them salam. And Rasulullah said, Diyara qawmin mu'mineen. That's where their dwelling is now. They're under the ground. And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, وَإِنَّ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهُ بِكُمْ لَاحِقُونَ And inshaAllah we are soon going to follow you. All of us are going to die. And then he said, وَدَدْتُ أَنَّا قَدْ لَقِينَا إِخْوَانَنَا I wish that we can see our brothers. So Sahaba radiallahu were amazed by this statement, and they said, aren't we your brothers? Rasulullah said, you are my companions, antum ashabi. You are my companions. My brothers are the ones who didn't come yet. The rest of the ummah of Muhammad وسلم, whom Muhammad وسلم, did not see them, we are inshallah ta'ala the brothers of Muhammad So Rasulullah was telling the sahaba that you are my sahaba, you are my friends, you are my companions. My brothers are the ones who did not come yet. And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked by the Sahaba, كَيْفَ تَعْرِفُ مَنْ لَمْ يَأْتِي بَعْدْ مِنْ أُمَّتِكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ The Sahaba said, How will you know your brothers when you never saw them? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَرَأَيْتَ لَوْ أَنَّ رَجُلًا لَهُ خَيْلٍ غَيْرُ مُحَجَّلًا بَيْنَ ظَهْرِ خَيْلٍ دَهْمٍ بِهِمْ أَلَا يَعْرِفُ خَيْلَهِ Rasulullah said, If there is a man who has horses with the marks of tahjil, with these signs, wouldn't he recognize them among other horses? The Sahaba said yes. Rasulullah said, On the day of judgment, my ummah will come with these signs and I will recognize them out of all of the people. I will know that this man is from my ummah because of the signs of wudu on them. And then Rasulullah says, And I will be waiting for them on my pool, on al hawth. I will be waiting for my brothers on the pool. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to combine us with Rasulullah on the day of judgment. The next section of the book, is, this is a new chapter now. So we're done with the believers on the Day of Judgment. The next chapter is talking about shafa'ah is the intercession. And there is shafa'ah uzma and shafa'ah sughra. There is major shafa'ah and there is minor shafa'ah. The major shafa'ah is given to nobody but Rasulullah wasallam, And that is one shafa'ah. And then there are many minor shafa'at that Rasulullah have will have. And then there are also some minor shafa'at that other righteous uh, people will have like the shafa'ah of the shaheed, the intercession of the shaheed. We will talk about, uh, we'll talk in detail about the shafa'ah inshallah ta'ala uh, in the future, but now we will just limit our talk to a shafa'ah al-uzma, the major shafa'ah. This is what we will talk about at the moment. The major shafa'ah is the intercession on behalf of Rasulullah for the accountability or al-hisab to start. On the Day of Judgment, which is 50,000 years long, the sun will be above the heads of people. It will be extremely hot. And people will be standing up and sweating. And there is silence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not speaking to them. And they cannot do anything and they're standing. And they will get extremely exhausted, hungry and thirsty and tired. They will ask the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to appeal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to start the accountability. And they will say, let the accountability start even if it will end up with us in hellfire. Just let it start. We are tired and exhausted. Rasulullah says in the hadith of Shifa'ah, and the hadith of Shifa'ah, there are many narrations of it in Bukhari and Muslim and other hadith. And Rasulullah once, he was in an invitation, and he uh, ate, he was eating from uh, al-zira', which is uh, the arm. 
and he used to love the arm. So he took one bite from it, and then he said, "Ana Sayyidul Awalina wal Akhirina Yom Al Qiyamah." I am the leader of the early generations and the last generations on the Day of Judgment. I am going to be the Sayyid, the noble, and the leader of all of them. And then Rasulullah was silent, and the Sahaba were silent. Rasulullah said, "Wouldn't you ask me why?" The Sahaba said, "Why?" Then Rasulullah said, "On the Day of Judgment." The people will reach to an extreme situation, exhausted and tired. And then they will go to Sayyidina Adam salam, And they will say, Oh Adam, you are the father of human beings, of mankind. You are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created with his own hand. You are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blew into him from his spirit. And you are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the angels made, make sujood for. Wouldn't you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wouldn't you appeal for us on this day? Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam will say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this day is angry. And he has never been angry like this before and never will be angry like this before. And I have eaten from the tree and I shouldn't have done so. Go to somebody else. Go to Nuh. Adam will say, I cannot do this. I'm not fit for this responsibility. I've committed a sin. Go to Nuh. So they would go to Nuh. And they would say, Oh Nuh, you are the first messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mankind. And you are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved. Wouldn't you appeal for us? Nuh will say, I have made a dua against my people. I cannot do this for you. Go to someone else. Go to Ibrahim. So all of the people will go to Ibrahim. And subhanAllah, look on the Day of Judgment. They forgot about all of their kings and their presidents and their leaders. They know that they cannot do them any good. While they were begging them in dunya. And they were making sujood for them in dunya. And they were slaves for them in dunya. On the Day of Judgment, they know that they cannot do them any good. And the ones they were running away from, the Anbiya of Allah. And in dunya, they were running away from the Anbiya of Allah. They were running away from the orders of the Anbiya. And now people are running away from the instructions and the orders of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa But on the day of judgment, they're going to be running towards the Anbiya of Allah because they know that these are the only people who can intercede for them with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the spokesmen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on dunya. And they are the ones who can appeal for them on the day of judgment. So they would go to Ibrahim alayhi salam and they would say, Oh Ibrahim, you are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored. Can't you appeal for us on this day? And you are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called his khalil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken you as his friend. Can't you appeal, intercede for us on this day? Ibrahim will say, I have lied three times. I cannot do this nafsi nafsi. Myself, myself. And every Nabi before were also saying, myself, myself. Nafsi, nafsi. Go to Musa. And by the way, Ibrahim alayhi salam here is saying that there are three lies. And we talked about this in the lives of the prophets. They are not really lies. They are not lies. But because of the sensitivity of the Anbiya, they have doubts, even, they have doubts in their actions, and they're always asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive them, and they're always assuming the worst. When you pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if you feel that you have done a perfect prayer, always assume the worst, that there is something missing from it. So that's why after salah we say astaghfirullah. Ibrahim alayhi salam, even though these are not lies, but he said, I have lied three times. He felt that he's not uh, able to get up to this level of interceding for mankind. He said, go to Musa. They would go to Musa, and they would ask Musa to appeal for them. Musa will say, I have killed that man. And that, and he killed him by mistake. But on the Day of Judgment, there's sensitivity, and there's so much fear, that you assume that something that was right, 
you assume that you have not done it the right way. Something that was okay, something that is forgiven, because of the fear on that day, you are afraid of those actions. So Musa said, I have killed a man, nafsi, nafsi, myself, myself, go to Isa. And then they would go to Isa alayhi salam. And they would say, you are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blew into him, his soul. Aren't you going to appeal for us on this day? Aren't you going to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us on this day? Isa alayhi salam will not mention a sin, but he will say, nafsi, nafsi, myself, myself, go to Muhammad. So they would go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And they would say, you are the seal of the prophets. And you are the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven from his past sins and the future. غفر الله له ما تقدم من ذنبي وما تأخر. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam left from this dunya with forgiven sins. No sins whatsoever. And they would ask Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they would say, can't you appeal for us? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi is the only one who will say, ummati, ummati, my ummah, my ummah, my nation, my nation. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam will run until he is under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-arsh. And then he will make sujood. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inspire into me praises of Allah and thanks and gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has not inspired to anyone before me. Meaning that Rasulullah would be saying words of praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that were never said before. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell him, Ya Muhammad, irfa' ra'sak, wasal tu'ta, washfa' tushaffa'. O Muhammad, raise up your head and ask you will be given and intercede and, in your, and your intercession will be accepted. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will say, Ummati, ummati, my ummah, my ummah. That is the intercession of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that every Nabi has been given a da'wah. And all of the Anbiya have exhausted their da'wah. They have, every Nabi was given one da'wah that will be guaranteed to be accepted. And all of them have exhausted their da'wah except me. I have reserved my da'wah for my ummah on the Day of Judgment. And then the accountability will happen. And that is the major shafa'ah. So this major shafa'ah is something that only Rasulullah will be able to do and that is the shafa'ah for mankind. For all mankind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts the hisab, starts the accountability and that is when the books will be given down and everybody will be held accountable for their actions. And then there are many other different forms of shafa'ah which are called the shafa'ah sughra, the minor shafa'ah. Sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. For further information, please contact Al-Bashir Publications and Translations at 1-877-745-3330 or 303-574-0095. Our fax number is 303-373-0943 or visit our website at www. Dot albashir.com. That's www.al-bashear.com. You can also write to our address at 10515 East 40th Avenue, Suite 108, Denver, Colorado, 80239-3264. Please proceed to the next CD.